Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Roll another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN. Hello to our good friends in the UK and in Ireland enjoying the program on Sky Sports. I have had custom made for Big Cat's amusement a shirt that looks like Big Cat's jacket. Unfortunately, <laughs> unless there's been a change in the technology in the past 20 seconds, he can't see it because it was my bright idea to turn his monitor off so he didn't see me before we were live, and now it's not back on. So, with all that said... Good morning, Big Cat. How are you? Good morning. I'm looking at a picture of it right now because someone tweeted at me, but I still cannot see you. Uh, it looks good. It's not exactly a replica. So, and I also don't really understand. I thought it was going to be a, a T-shirt with the painted on like you're wearing a jacket. You just have a nice shirt on. That's just a sharp looking shirt. Yeah. Actually, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. I took my shirts to the cleaners before Super Bowl, and I haven't felt like going to pick them up. So I was rifling through the closet yesterday looking for shirts to wear. And it's like, holy crap, I got a shirt that looks like Big Cat's jacket. I'm wearing that tomorrow. I mean, it's uh, it's nice that you think about me so much. It's nice that you want to be <laughs> me. I, I'm nothing but complimented. I just wish, like I said, you hadn't uh, negatively affected the show where I can't see anything right now. It's all because of your little jokes. So we'll just fly blind the whole time. I hope there's not some, like, highlight package that I have to watch and react to. Some, you know, he shoots, he scores. So I'll just fly blind and be a pro about it. (laughs) 
Yeah, we were going to have you break down some X's and O's from some of the key plays in the fourth quarter of Super Bowl 54. We won't do that until we get your monitor back on. But we can talk about some of the aftermath of Super Bowl 54. That's where we begin today because Kyle Shanahan, coach of the 49ers, had his end-of-season press conference yesterday. And obviously, one of the topics, Jimmy Garoppolo. And specifically, the question of where Shanahan's support currently is for Garoppolo. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I mean, same as it was the day before the Super Bowl. I mean, there's no different. I mean, he was on his way close to Super Bowl MVP. Um, and we all know we didn't all didn't make those plays at the end. But um, we made those plays all year, our, our whole team. That's one of the reasons we were there. And whenever you don't make those plays at the end in a game like that, um, first and foremost, the quarterbacks can get attacked and then usually the play caller. So uh, we understand that's how it goes. You know, I don't know that he would have been the MVP if they hadn't blown the 10-point lead because I don't think he did enough to really stand out over a Nick Bosa or a Debo Samuel, who I think would have been a good candidate for MVP if things had held 20-10. to 10. But Jimmy G would have been the MVP if he had connected to Emmanuel Sanders when Sanders was open and the ball was in the air. And I thought, hey, this is on target. Shows you what my depth perception is because he flat out missed him. He connects there. He is the MVP. And the failure to connect there... Big Cat, I've been banging this drum all week. That's the ultimate litmus test. You have that opportunity once, twice, three times at the absolute most in your career. You either seize it or you don't. And he didn't. So the criticism is fair. And regardless of anything Kyle Shanahan said, at some level, he's got to look inwardly and say, is this the right guy? Because when those moments come in the biggest possible spots, can I trust him to make the play? Based on what we saw Sunday, the answer is no. Yeah, I mean, I think he would have been the MVP if the lead had held because I think you're forgetting Jimmy G was actually very good up until that third, you know, that fourth quarter. I think what was he, uh, 19 for 21 or 18 for 21? He was efficient. He was accurate. He had had a good game up until that point. It's just what we've been saying about Jimmy G all season long. He's a he's a good quarterback, but can he be a Super Bowl quarterback? And when the pressure got tighter when everything kind of closed in on him that's when it feels like it fell apart and you could see it as soon as the pressure started getting to him getting home and, and that Kansas City front line was getting some pressure getting their hands up blocking passes everything felt like it, it fell apart for Jimmy G and that's what that's the difference between a Super Bowl and not a Super Bowl and that's the difference between a Super Bowl winning quarterback Patrick Mahomes who when the pressure ramped up and you're in the fourth quarter and you're down 10 he started making plays and Jimmy G didn't make plays but Mike what what is the alternative we we do this all the time with quarterbacks where we say you got to get rid of him he can't win a Super Bowl what is the alternative the 49ers are set up right now with a great roster to make a run next year again what is the alternative? Who are they going to bring in that will immediately make them that Super Bowl uh, winning team when they were up 10 points with seven minutes left to go in the game? I mean, that's as close as you can get to winning a Super Bowl. Let me ask you this question before I ask you the next question. First question, if Tom Brady had been the quarterback of the 49ers on Sunday, would they have won? Yeah. Yes, of course. Okay. All right. Next question then. Tom, And we talked about this yesterday. If Tom Brady were to call Kyle Shanahan out of the blue, tampering notwithstanding, and say, hey, Kyle, I'd really like to play for my hometown team before I retire. I think I can be the difference and we can win a Super Bowl together. What would Shanahan say? What should he say? He would say yes, but Mike, the problem with what you're saying is you have to be 100% sure that that is exactly what's going to happen because you see it all the time in sports. 
the most dangerous thing you can do in the free agency period is to start talking to the next guy when you haven't decided what you're doing with the current guy. And if you start talking to Tom Brady and Tom Brady is using this as leverage to get more money out of New England or just have New England wine and dine him and say, hey, we love you, Tom. We want you to stay and we're going to pay you whatever you want. And then, you know, he might not even take that, but just the idea that they'd pay him whatever he wants. Maybe that's what he's after. So if you start talking to Tom Brady and you go down that road where you're actively looking for a replacement to Jimmy Garoppolo and that falls apart and then you have Jimmy Garoppolo next year, that is where things can get a little risky, a little dicey with your football team when you basically have said, we want to move on with this guy, from this guy, but we, you know, we can't because we kind of screwed up the negotiations with the next guy. Well, let's set that aside. Let's keep it as simple as possible. Brady truthfully says to Shanahan, I'm leaving New England. I'm looking at my next destination, and I want it to be San Francisco. Let's go do this. Does I, I, you, you, Your instinct is he'd say yes if you can yeah. plug Brady in and, and, and pay him what you're going to pay Garoppolo, and they can escape Garoppolo's contract if they move by April 1. They could trade him back to New England if they wanted to. I, I you know I, I'm glad you agree with me because Sims didn't. I think that you take Brady for next year and then, and you know, people scoff at this, but they don't understand the connection between Kyle Shannon and Kirk Cousins. If Cousins doesn't do an extension in Minnesota, then he's the guy you get for 2021 after you win a Super Bowl with Tom Brady and he walks off into the sunset with seven. I, the Kirk Cousins thing, I, I don't, I don't see it as, you know, I know Kyle Shanahan wants him. I know Kyle Shanahan has coached Kirk Cousins, but I don't see that as some huge upgrade uh, to Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, let's give Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit of credit here. He did have a team that was 13-3 and that rolled through the first two rounds of playoffs. I know he didn't throw that much, but guess what? It doesn't really matter because he's part of that team, and you can't just take it all away from him. And he also, this was his first full year as a starter because he got injured last year. So I, if you're assessing Jimmy Garoppolo, I, are you saying that he's a 100% a finished product? This is exactly what he is. This is his exact ceiling. He will not get any better whatsoever. I'm not ready to say that. So I would take the risk on Jimmy Garoppolo maybe getting better, more confident, finding those moments versus having a known quality quantity in Kirk Cousins that you might have coached before and thinking you get the most out of, but you know exactly what Kirk Cousins' ceiling is. Well, and I like that you said that because that leads into what Steve Young, Super Bowl winning quarterback with the 49ers, Hall of Famer, the last time the 49ers climbed the mountain, he was the guy. He was talking at the San Francisco Chronicle recently, and he said that Jimmy doesn't know his ceiling because Kyle doesn't trust him, basically, to find his ceiling. You put him in mothballs in the NFC Championship game. Give this guy a chance to figure out who he is, and along the way you find out who he is, and you can make decisions over the long haul as to what he can do. But Big Cat, we know what his ceiling isn't. His ceiling isn't delivering the ball in stride accurately to a wide open, not wide open, but he was open. We've seen other quarterbacks make that throw. We've seen other quarterbacks make that throw in Super Bowls. And we saw Jimmy Garoppolo have a chance to do it, and he didn't do it. So his ceiling is somewhere below that, right? So you're, you're, boiling uh, his, you're boiling his ceiling down to one single throw. Like, you, like if Jimmy yes, Garoppolo has that yes, throw again, he can't make that throw? Is that what you're saying? He will never well, make that throw? I'm betting the under. I'm that's crazy. Because, but that's crazy but, but, to but say that he's never going to make that throw. No. 
Well, I mean, how many chances are you going to have in your lifetime to even make that throw? My point is of this. Of course. Those opportunities are very few and very far between, and it is the ultimate litmus test for a quarterback. You either make the throw My. or you don't with the season riding on it. Season's riding. He, he had plenty of time. He was able to set up and throw. You either deliver that ball accurately, which is your job. I mean, we say all the time about kickers, you got one job, make the kick. For a quarterback who's in a clean pocket and his guy's open, you make that throw. You make that throw, and he didn't. I, so I mean, yeah, you're that's still boiling. Ceiling, it, he had a chance to win a championship, and he didn't make it. You're still boiling it all down to one one throw. His entire career, I think that's a little. Yes, crazy. I am. I yeah, uh, that's fine. Not. But I to say he could never make that throw, and I, I actually agree with the Kyle Shanahan not trusting him enough. The the biggest problem I had with Kyle Shanahan was not the play calling at the end of the game. It was the fact that he. Just basically with a minute and a half and three timeouts left in the first half, said, let's go in the locker room. Happy we're 10-10 against the Chiefs offense that you know was going to explode at some point. That was where the trust in Jimmy, Jimmy G was like non-existent. That's the message you're sending to your quarterback saying, yeah, you know what? I'd rather not risk you throwing an interception here and, and, you know, and try to get more points in a game that you know you're going to need points eventually. Like You know the Chiefs offense has done this time and time again where they will explode at any moment and, boom, put 21 on you in the fourth quarter. You know you're not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs with field goals, yet you still said 10-10, that's fine, let's go in the locker room. That was the moment where Kyle Shanahan said – I don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo, but I but but to boil it all down to one single throw and say he will never ever ever make that throw, I think that's foolish, and that's why you're sitting with me right now and not sitting in a front office for an NFL team. I don't want to be in a front office. I don't want to be in a front office. You get oh, fired yeah, yeah. from the front office. I don't, you don't want get fired when you, you don't get into work. You, know. you don't get you, you don't get fired. You don't get fired when you own your own media company. Let me say this though: oh, two nice things. Flex. Two things. First, exactly. It's the it's the big cat jacket shirt. I, I, it's making me feel tough. It's making me feel big today. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to flex a little bit like you were all last week after you got all your big money from Penn National. All right. <laughs> uh, here, here's uh, are, you, are you up to two hundred thousand an episode now? For pardon my take. I can't we, see you. I don't even number? know what you're doing right now. I can't see you. Your joke has really right. affected this show. Steve Young also said that at the end of the first half, what's the message you're sending to the quarterback? And he put himself in. Jimmy Garoppolo's shoes and said, what are you saying to me when you're not letting me try to score with the ball in my hands? Tick, 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 tick. I mean, it makes sense that you could look at that and say, maybe Kyle doesn't really trust Jimmy G. And to put the final point on that, the fact that he didn't make the throw with the season on the line shows why maybe he doesn't trust Jimmy G. Now, you mentioned letting the clock run. Before we take our break, here's Kyle Shanahan from yesterday. When he was asked, would you change your play calling at the end of the first half? Here's what he said. Um, felt extremely good with how we went. Um, not using the timeout there was a no-brainer. Um, but then trying to work the clock. If we would have got an explosive run on the first one, then it would have been a whole different deal. But we got a two-and-a-half-yard run. And so the whole goal was to not let them call a timeout there. Um, so you hurry to the line to act like you're going, but then you don't. Um, so you can ensure that Mahomes won't have an opportunity. And then we run a ball, and then we make them use one of their timeouts. Now it's third down, and... At least we've made them use one of their timeouts. We've taken enough time off that if we don't get this, um, it's going to be harder. Um, but it's still a lot of pressure. you got to move the chains there. They brought a corner blitz. Jeff did an awesome job. We got a big play and um, ended up having an opportunity to score if we don't get the offensive PI. I mean, that's all well and good, but I can't get past the image of John Lynch up in the suite doing this, right? Doing this. Take the timeout. And Lynch said yesterday, Parag Marate, the the 
executive savant who negotiates contracts and also does some clock management stuff for the 49ers. Lynch was asking him, should we take a time out here? So I'm assuming that Marate's saying yes, otherwise Lynch isn't doing this. Can you see me doing that? You can't see me doing it. No, I can't. I'm doing the I same cannot. thing Lynch was doing. Yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, it's, it's, I think that some of the criticism of Kyle Shanahan from Super Bowl 54 isn't fair, but the handling at the end of the first half, I think, falls into the category of fair criticism, along with running it on second and five, up three points with about six minutes left. Those two things, I think, are fair criticism. Yeah, that's playing scared. I mean, listening to Kyle Shanahan talk there, you're basically saying to yourself, we're scared of Patrick Mahomes, which I would understand being scared of Patrick Mahomes, but the only way to beat the Chiefs is to go and be aggressive offensively. I mean, that that first half kind of told the story where you had Andy Reid going for it twice on fourth down and Kyle Shanahan running out the clock with three timeouts and a minute and a half left. That told you who wanted to go seize the day, take that opportunity and win the Super Bowl. All right, let's take a break. When we return, the team that was in the Super Bowl last year from the NFC, the L.A. Rams, they have a big decision to make on Todd Gurley, and they want to meet with him before they decide the future of the guy who was the NFL's Offensive Player of the Year in 2017. More PFT Live right after this. Todd Gurley signed a huge contract with the L.A. Rams before the 2018 season, a contract that there is no way the Rams would do again because it was during the 2018 season that his knee became progressively worse to the point where he couldn't contribute late in the regular season. He was never the same guy after that in 2019. They didn't use him nearly as much as they had in past years. They have a decision coming, Big Cat. Third day of the league year in March, another $10.5 million in payment to Todd Gurley becomes fully guaranteed. According to the report of NFL media, the Rams want to meet with Gurley ahead of time. Look, I think that they want to go to Gurley and basically say, we propose a reduction in what you're going to make. And we believe that what we offer you is going to be more than what anyone else would pay you if we were to cut you. I think that's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to subtly squeeze him to take less. And then his agent will make some phone calls and realize, you know what, what they are offering here in LA is more than what anyone else would pay a guy who's got a knee that is arthritic, according to his trainer and can't carry the load that he once did. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, remember when this deal got signed and we all said, are you sure? And it happens, uh, it feels like with one or two teams every couple of years here where they sign this big deal with a running back. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott just got that money from the Cowboys and everyone looks around and says, wait, are you sure? Because who was in the Super Bowl this year? Raheem Mostert and Damian Williams, playoff Damian. You guess what? Those two guys were undrafted. And I know. Obviously, Todd Gurley is better than both those guys. You know, Todd Gurley healthy in his prime. Same with Ezekiel Elliott, excuse me. But you you can get value out of the running back position without having to invest big-time dollars, big-time money, big-time contracts, big-time draft capital. And it's proven time and time again with the teams that get to the Super Bowl, get to the finish line. So I don't really know. I mean, look, at even last year, the Rams are in the Super Bowl – it wasn't really because of Todd Gurley towards the end of the year because he was injured all the time. And C.J. Anderson had a great, you know, end of the run, uh, end of the season for the Rams. So it's smart for the Rams to go to Todd Gurley and say, we need to figure this out and not invest so much money in the running back position because going forward, they're going to need to spread that money around to other positions and try to build this roster back up. 
They will have paid him $34.5 million for two seasons, which is unheard of for a running back if they do make some sort of a move. But I ultimately think that he will realize it's in his best interest to work with the Rams and take less money and accept a reduced role because that knee. And he gets angry when people talk about the knee, but I can't help it. The knee is a problem. He's not the guy that he used to be, and we saw it play out every week of the 2019 season with few exceptions. He can't be the guy that was the workhorse in the centerpiece of the offense, and at some point you have to go to Gurley and say, we can no longer justify this type of expenditure. And he's got the ultimate leverage, though, because if he doesn't like the offer, he can say, just cut me and let me walk away with $34.5 million. And you know what? Some guys, Big Cat, will do that just for spite. Even though they know they're going to make less somewhere else, they're upset that the team is coming to them and wanting to adjust the deal. And they'll just say, rip the whole thing up and I'll go make less somewhere else. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I don't know if Todd Gurley is that guy, but you bring up the knee and him getting upset when anyone brings up a knee. Like, why Why would he be upset? I mean, I understand why he's upset because it's basically saying, hey, look, your knee's never going to get better. It just is what it is. Uh, but him getting upset shows you that, that it's a real problem. He wouldn't get upset if he thought it If he, in his heart of hearts, thought, I'm still Todd Gurley, I'm still going to be the same guy that I was two, three years ago, he probably wouldn't have that reaction. So going forward, the Rams, I mean, we've talked about it. They have some tough decisions to make. That roster feels like it's always on the brink, and they need to make those tough decisions, and they need to figure out the running back position and not invest so much money into a guy that you can't probably rely on for a 16-game schedule, maybe 17-game schedule with that knee. Yeah, and look at the division they're in now with the 49ers, the most recent Super Bowl representative from the NFC. The Seahawks, still a contender year in and year out and will be as long as they have Russell Wilson. And the Cardinals. The Cardinals make some moves this offseason. They're going to be in the mix. All of a sudden, the Rams find themselves where we thought they were on the brink of dominating that division for years to come. They are going to be potentially an also-ran in the NFC West if they don't make some good moves this offseason. We're going to take a quick break. Is Joe Burrow planning a power play out of Cincinnati? We'll discuss that next. Joe Burrow, 15-0 last year with LSU. Heisman Trophy, national champion, presumptive number one overall pick. But, Big Cat, there have been some breadcrumbs in recent days. It began with Carson Palmer saying that Joe Burrow shouldn't want to play for the Bengals because the Bengals aren't trying to win a Super Bowl. Standing alone, that was a little bit alarming. But then when you follow that with Jordan Palmer, Carson's brother, working directly with Burrow to get him ready for the draft, that becomes a little alarming. And then when Burrow's on Dan Patrick's show last week, and Burrow had previously said, I want to play for anyone who will pay me to play for them on DP show, he said, I want to play for a team that's committed to winning. It all comes together as what could be, could be, a potential power play the first time since 2004 with Eli Manning, the second time since John Elway with the Colts when they were in Baltimore in 1983, that a guy who is presumed to be the first overall pick in the draft would try to finagle his way away from the team that holds that pick. And when you look at those various little pieces, I think it's obvious he's at least thinking about whether or not he can talk his way out of being the next quarterback of the Bengals. And wouldn't you? And wouldn't you? That's that's really the, the takeaway from this story. We always have these type of stories. I mean, it hasn't happened, like you said, since Eli Manning. But 
If you're the Bengals and you even have a rumor of this story, and I think Joe Burrow will go play wherever he gets drafted and he'll be a great franchise quarterback and he'll probably win a Super Bowl. I'll say it right now. He'll probably win a Super Bowl, even if it is with the Bengals. But if you are the Bengals and you hear these rumors and you see these stories, don't you have just one moment of introspection and be like, hey, you know what? Like, what's wrong with us? The fact that this is even an idea that a player of Joe Burrow's caliber could say, I don't want to go here because you guys don't want to win. Like, if if someone said that about me, if I was the owner or the GM or the coach of an organization and someone said that about me, I'd have a big moment where I step back and say, hey, we got to figure out what we're doing and why it is wrong and change everything that we're doing because you can't have guys come into the draft and say, yeah, I don't want to go play there because that place is a joke. Yeah, but Big Cat, that ship sailed nine years ago because when Carson Palmer quit on the Bengals, he didn't retire. He quit on the Bengals. Even though he didn't come out and say the same things he said last week, it was obvious from the context, his actions and reports that emerged at the time that he'd had enough, that that's it. I've I've reached my lifetime limit of playing for this organization, and it is well established in league circles that Mike Brown, the owner of the team, really doesn't care about winning a Super Bowl. He cares about making as much money as he can, spending as little as he can to increase the profit margin, and that's the reputation the Bengals have had for years. And Peter King was on earlier this week. The first team he covered out of college was the Cincinnati Bengals once he was on an NFL beat. He said Mike Brown will tell Joe Burrow, go sit and rot like he did to Carson Palmer. You know, if Jason Campbell doesn't break his collarbone two days before the trade deadline in 2011 and the Raiders don't turn around and give up way too much to get Carson Palmer from the Bengals, there's a chance the guy never would have played again because Mike Brown's attitude was then and very well may be now, hey, Joe Burrow, you don't like it. We're drafting you. If you don't want to show up, don't show up. All right, so with everything you just said, uh, maybe Joe Burrow should uh, pulling Eli Manning because it's just crazy to me that you can have an NFL franchise and have that attitude. And I understand what you're saying because you see it all the time with owners. They don't care about winning. They just want to make money. But wouldn't a smart person say, hey, you know what will make you more money? Winning more games. Having a team that people are excited about. Having a team that people want to buy jerseys and go to the games and spend money and all those things it seems like that would make sense, but Mike Brown maybe doesn't have a brain in his skull and he can't figure that out. I don't know. You tell me. I don't know that that they've gone that far down the chain of logic. It's just been a very simple process throughout the 20 years I've been doing this that the Bengals are the outlier that really aren't interested in being as good as they can be. Now, they had five straight playoff appearances. That's great, but they haven't won a playoff game since January of 1991. And, you know, a couple of years ago, the year the Broncos won the Super Bowl, it came down to like a week 15 or 16 Monday night game when A.J. McCarron was playing quarterback for the Bengals and the game went to overtime. And if the Bengals had won that game, the complexion of the postseason in 2015 would have been very different. But for the most part, this has not been a team that we look at and say this is a high end contender that is on its way potentially to a Super Bowl. But look. I, and, and people have pushed back against this notion on Twitter by reciting the playoff appearances and the one loss record over the past 20 years. Bottom line is if Carson Palmer is willing to put his name to this belief that the Bengals aren't trying to win a Super Bowl, I got no basis for disagreeing with the guy who was with the team for nearly a decade and lived it every single day and played with two teams after that, that he could compare them to the vibe in Cincinnati. So, 
yeah, if Joe Burrow is my kid, I'm trying to work a way for the Dolphins to trade up and get him so he doesn't have to deal with that question of being drafted by the Bengals and maybe sitting out a full year and re-entering the draft. Because I don't think if push comes to shove, Joe Burrow is walking away from nearly $30 million fully guaranteed uh, and and sitting out a year and maybe not being the first overall pick after somebody else emerges as the presumptive number one in 2021. So I guess the last question I have for you, Mike, about this is, is Joe Burrow the type of quarterback that can change the entire culture of a franchise of a team? I think he is. I honestly do. You know, and, and I'm obviously a little biased because we've had him on our show a couple times and, you know, I've, I've had a chance to sit down with him. I just see it in him, and, and, and I've been around a lot of guys, where you just see something special, that it factor, where he will be that leader, that galvanizing force for a franchise. So if you're Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow's dad, if you're saying to yourself, hey, you know what, the Bengals, an organization that isn't committed to winning, but they've never had a Joe Burrow. And if you believe in yourself, maybe Joe Burrow changes all that because they then say, we have this guy, we have this huge chip, we have a guy who can be a franchise quarterback, let's build around that, let's spend some money, and and that can kind of change the complexion of how the Bengals do business. Possibly, but I will say this, I have immense respect for the fact that you have full and complete transparency that you essentially can be bought, that your Always. friendship can be bought. Come Always. on my show, and I'm your friend. Don't come on my show, and I'm not your friend, and I won't be your friend until you come on my show, then I'm your friend. Uh, you, you know who benefits from that policy more than any single person in this world? You're looking right at him, Mike Florio. If Mike Florio wasn't a friend of mine, I would be ripping him to shreds every which way. <laughs> every day, twice on Sunday, you would be getting it from me. And it would be easy. You would have blocked me years ago. So if you want to criticize that policy, go ahead. But just remember who that helps most, and that's Michael P. Florio. Uh, let me tell you this. If this is how you treat me and I'm your friend, I can only imagine <laughs> what it would be like if I wasn't your friend. I contemplate blocking you every Friday during the show. <laughs> So Ask Schefter. Um, Ask Schefter. I've been I've been all up in that business for a long time with Shefty. Yeah, let's not go down there this morning. There's some uh, fresh <laughs> developments in that in that feud that uh, we, we we don't want to spend any time on on the show because the audience doesn't care. They do care about this though. Joe Burrow has to at least be contemplating the possibilities. And I'll tell you this. And, and Big Cat, I, I am very leery of pre-draft rumor. Everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got an angle, so many smoke screens. I rarely traffic in that stuff anymore, but I know for a fact, and the only reason I mention it is because I know it for a fact, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, wants Joe Burrow. And I assume, I don't know, but I assume Burrow's camp is aware of that. That becomes a factor in this as well. If you know that you can, with a little pressure, with a little awkwardness for the Bengals, with a little of that introspection that may cause them to say, why do we want this guy if he doesn't want to be here? I mean, that's the thing. You want your quarterback to want to be there. He's got to be all in. He's got to be the team leader. He's got to show up early and stay late. He's got to be fully engaged. If he's got any hesitation, that's not good for the team. Maybe this is laying the foundation for the Dolphins to make a deal. They got plenty of draft capital. Chris Greer, the GM, has said so himself within the past couple of weeks. 
make the move up to number one and get Joe Burrow. It wouldn't shock me if that's what Burrow is hoping for. And if it doesn't happen and the Bengals draft him, you make chicken salad, or at least you try to. But I think they'd like the Dolphins to move up to number one and take him. So then what happens to Tua? Well, I don't know. Maybe Tua goes to the Bengals at five. Maybe they keep Tua, Andy Dalton for one more year, right? Keep Andy and, Dalton for one more year. Cheap contract, under $20 million for Andy Dalton for one more year. Let Tua sit on the bench like they did with Carson Palmer when John Kitna was the starting quarterback, and then Tua's your guy in 2021. I mean, if they keep Andy Dalton for another year, they really are the dumbest organization that's ever been created because they put they benched Andy Dalton last year. They said, we're moving on from Andy Dalton, and that was – like, the, you know, the, the Andy Dalton was clearly their best quarterback option last year, and they put him on the bench. So I guess that would make perfect sense. So what you just said is, is exactly what's going to happen because it is the Bengals. So they will trade the pick, take Tua, and have Andy Dalton be the quarterback next year and have everything be very weird. And you know what will happen? Andy Dalton will somehow win 10 games, and everyone will tell themselves, hey, maybe Andy Dalton is the answer for the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. Five straight playoff appearances for Andy Dalton to start his career with the Bengals. And let me just say one thing before we break. For whatever reason, Peter King on this program and elsewhere, I assume, has linked Andy Dalton to the Patriots enough times that it made me say to Peter during a break the other day, you're saying this so much, I feel like you know something. He says he doesn't know anything, but how about Andy Dalton as a New England Patriots next quarterback? What do you think of that? I mean, wouldn't it be the ultimate Belichick to figure out a way to win a Super Bowl with Andy Dalton? Like, that would be incredible. It would be incredible theater to watch. That's the, that's the ultimate proof that it's Belichick, not Brady. If you can bring in a guy who's middle of the pack at best and win a Super Bowl, what does that say about Brady? I kind of like the possibilities. I mean, we're going to talk later in the, pro, in the program. Our draft is predictions of things that will happen this offseason. I just don't think enough people have, have emerged from – uh, the, the presumption that he's definitely going to stay with the Patriots. I, I think that uh, there's a good chance he won't be, and that would make for a crazy 2020. We're going to take a break. When we return, Antonio Brown's attempted redemption tour continues. Will his apologies make things any different for him and his effort to get back to the NFL? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. For myself, like what you guys are, you guys are concerned? I'm concerned too. Yeah, right. Uh, in a possible way of that, like, I mean, it's, it's tough for a guy, you know. Uh, you, you you take away his his job. I mean, his what he's been doing since he was a kid. Yes, yeah, passion and his passion. So they take that away, and it's tough the situation he's going through. Uh, being a guy who's looking from the outside in, like like how you guys are going, I'm like wow, that's a different dude that you know playing on the field how he was. That's Juju Smith-Schuster. He was with us in Miami last week because I asked him a very simple question. What we've seen from Antonio Brown publicly over the last year, is this privately what the guy was and the Steelers just kept it under wraps? Because there was a sense once the Steelers were done with him that he had been kind of a malcontent, kind of a problem child for a while. Juju Smith-Schuster said what we've seen play out publicly is worse than what he encountered. And look, this is just part of this slow motion self-destruction of Antonio Brown, big cat. And I feel bad for him because he desperately wants to get back in the NFL, but he has yet to figure out his best course is to just shut up, lay low, and quit getting himself into situations. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If he deleted his Instagram, his Twitter, and just said, I'm not going to say anything for the next six months, I bet you he would be in a training camp. So yesterday, Mike, the big news was that he apologized to the Steelers. Do you think that there's any world, any world, the Steelers say, hey, you know what? Let's sign Antonio Brown to the absolute minimum. We'll incentivize it to the moon 
and see if he can come and be productive and play on a one-year deal and be that extra piece that unlocks the entire offense with Big Ben coming back next year. Because the defense is there. Like, Antonio Brown could be the difference for the Steelers to be from a good team to a great team. If you get a good Antonio Brown year and you have all the other weapons that you can maybe, you know, he's the guy who unlocks Juju Smith-Schuster. Do you take that risk if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers? Before answering that question, I want to assess for myself Antonio Brown's apology. Here he is from 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh yesterday, issuing that public apology to Mike Tomlin and the rest of the Steelers. I apologize to those guys for the distractions, you know, the um, the unwanted attention that probably caused those guys <clears throat> to their names and organization. So <clears throat> obviously you want to clear out any uh, any baggage or any disrespect or unintended attention that was brought on to the organization and Mr. Rooney, Mike Tomlin, Kevin Colbert, Ben Raftenberger. You know, I started my career with those guys, so it's not all bad. I just think from an emotional standpoint, when stuff got bad, it just seemed bad. But we had a lot of good good moments than bad. Yeah, look, that wasn't that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. It sounds fairly plausible. If I'm Ben Roethlisberger, though, I'm concerned about the guy because I remember how ugly it got last year when he was trying to tweet his way out of Pittsburgh. So I think he's got a lot more work to do to rebuild that bridge back to Pittsburgh. But low-end salary, no second chance, it's at least worth considering because the idea is to try to win football games, and he's a guy you know. We were talking yesterday about the possibility Le'Veon Bell's going to end up back in Pittsburgh via trade with the Jets. The Steelers, one of the teams that talked to the Jets during the regular season, right before the trade deadline about a possible deal. So get the band back together and try to win Super Bowl number seven before Ben Roethlisberger retires. It's going to take some work, but you know, it probably took even more work to keep it all from blowing up in the years before it finally did. So it's, it's nothing new for Mike Tomlin to try to manage Antonio Brown. So I'd be inclined to give it a shot. We have to remember this though. There's still a chance he's going to get suspended. He's served an unpaid suspension as a practical matter for the last 14 games of the regular season. But at some point, the NFL is going to pass their judgment on Antonio Brown. And depending upon the length of the suspension, it may make playing for the Steelers or anyone else moot. Yeah, the suspension part obviously has to come into the calculation. But you, you mentioned something, Mike, I want to just touch on real quick. Mike Tomlin deserves so much credit for everything that he, w- he has done with the Steelers, and I've given Mike Tomlin, you know, a little bit of grief because there's been years where it feels like things fall apart and he's part of it, but watching how this has all played out since the breakup of Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown, it's a testament to what Mike Tomlin was able to do to keep that all together, and I don't think it's a coincidence that Antonio Brown gets away from Pittsburgh and you see that he isn't able to gel with any other teams. He has a million different problems. He has a million different, you know, times that he ends up on TMZ. Mike Tomlin, what he was able to do all those years, this should be the only destination that Antonio Brown, you know, would want to go to because he's got to say to himself, Mike Tomlin did a good job of keeping me, you know, focused on football and getting the most out of me as an athlete and all that other stuff is just noise. Let me go back to Pittsburgh. Let me go back to a guy who knows how to get the most out of me and can coach me the right way where I can put this all behind me and go back to being an all-pro wide receiver. 
One of the real questions that's emerged in recent weeks regarding Antonio Brown, whether and to what extent he needs some sort of counseling, some sort of mental health assistance. And look, if he does, he should get the help. It's not an uncommon problem in this day and age, and sometimes it doesn't take much to get a person right back on the proper path. He was asked yesterday on 93.7 The Fan how he's doing and if he's getting any help. Here's what he said. I'm not pretty good, man. I think those guys put me in a crazy jacket. I don't know why they did that, but... <laughs> I just think, man, mental health is really important. You know, it's it's really difficult for me when you know, I can't even go out in the public. Everyone coming up to me, putting their camera phone. Everyone got an agenda from what they want to get from me or what they can make off me. So, you know, it's good to be around people and talk to people that don't have no agenda, you know, that I can just support your mental health. You know, th- th- there's some truth in the, the stress that, goes along with being a professional athlete from the fans perspective. We just think these guys have it easy. They have it made They're You know, they're, they're, they're jumping into gold coins like Scrooge McDuck and there's never a worry. There's never care. It is a stressful life. You're criticized all the time. Social media criticized all the time. You're going out to a stadium eight times a year where everyone hates you. You've got people who want a piece of you. They want your money. Who do you trust? Who do you not trust? And and uh, after years and years and years of that, I, I could understand why somebody would need some help, Big Cat. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope he does get help. I really do think that if he deleted all of his uh, social media apps, that would be the first great step into getting him back in the league. We have another hour of Pro Football Talk Live on this Friday. We'll be back with more right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.